This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode 157 here in the den on this Sunday, April 9th. Nick Max and Noah Grant here to bring you all the latest and greatest in the hockey world. Not a lot in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup to go through today, but we will go through some tidbits as we always do. Uh, The Frozen Four, it is done. College hockey now on the men's side has been completed and yeah, interesting. Turns out a guy by the name of Ryan Steig really knew what he was talking about. But uh, um, we're going to kind of walk through uh, those things as well. Um, we'll talk about some scheduling pieces uh, to start the main portion of the show as well, too. You're not going to want to miss those. We do have a guest coming on next week, and we also have some scheduling things that I think is important for people to know. So definitely want to pay attention to that. Of course, that'll be timestamped both on your screen on the YouTube page and also in your notes um, wherever you're perusing your podcast if you're an audio listener. And then, as always, we'll talk about the NCAA player moves, other people that are moving in and out of the portal, NHL signings, things like that. And then uh, we're going to kind of talk about not only the Hobie Baker and Richter winners, of course, but just kind of an overall recap of the NCAA men's hockey season and kind of our overall thoughts as to how everything progressed. It's kind of fun to look back and just kind of see how everything ended up. And then the Minnesota Wild, we do have to talk about them. They've got three games left. They are in a playoff spot. Kind of an odd week for them. So we'll have to talk about that as well. And then the extra ice session, a very early look at the NHL playoff picture that is likely to change. But uh, there are teams that are statistically still in it. And we're going to talk about, of course, all of them and where they might finish up in the National Hockey League before the postseason next week. We start, as always, with Center ICU News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Illustrated Weekly Roundup, Noah, and a story we brought to you last week um, with uh, the Arizona Coyotes, the city of Phoenix suing uh, essentially Tempe for uh, their use of some of the rezoning areas to build uh, essentially residential units, uh, part of the big entertainment district. Again, their complaint was, hey, uh, this is going to be too close to the airport. It's going to violate a noise ordinance, even though right across the street. They have no problem with the same apartment buildings, literally 16 feet across. But um, Arizona also wasn't so happy about this. So guess what? They hired a firm. And uh, along with the Coyotes, they filed suit back um, towards uh, the city of Phoenix and Sky Harbor for alleged breach of contract. Right. Uh, One of the things 
that uh, is been thrown around here, Noah, is it, and then this is more speculation than anything is the timing of this yeah. um, initial suit. Uh, we, I think I, I mentioned a little bit last week too. Um, so to kind of go a little bit more specific here, as we mentioned before, Phoenix is asking in its legal filing, mind you, the suit towards Tempe, um, that recent zoning land use changes, um, also trying to prohibit any future residential considerations in the area. Um, the FAA also saying it's incompatible with residential development. Now, this is a line of BS, 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 because, again, literally across the street, there's residential units there. And there's also these things called soundproofing, right? So the counties are firing back with a $2.3 billion, billion lawsuit. And uh, no, not that the coyotes needed any sort of distraction from a big vote coming up <laughs> next month. But yeah. it is curious to know that this is the timing of this lawsuit, despite the fact that all the reports have said that this was something hashed out a long time ago. Yeah, definitely. And the other part of this, too, what if the Coyotes win that lawsuit? I don't even think it'll make it there. I think yeah. it'll be dismissed. No, um, I agree. But, like, imagine that. That could be a huge injection of <laughs> would it, cash. It would be the first it. thing they've won in quite some time. So how about yeah. that, huh? <laughs> um, there's no there's no question this is a you know middle finger lawsuit. This is not yeah. meant to cause or to gain any sort of monetary damage. But it is a firm stick in the ground by the coyotes. Mind you, Phoenix sending the lawsuit over there. Mind you, anytime that you put a complaint in the court of law, right? Um, there's ramifications to that. And it's, I think what we forget no, sometimes is although this seems kind of, shall we say child's play, um, the coyotes didn't really have a choice, but to file this suit, um, especially when, you know, supposedly again craig morgan great reporter down there in the phoenix area covering this in depth has said that back i think this goes back to 2019 2020 yeah where these two sides including the city of phoenix sky harbor airport the faa all had essentially said yep nope uh we hear your concerns there could be soundproofing it'll be just fine right and then after all of the talk and all of the steps that the coyotes the city of tempe has taken and all of a sudden we get to within a month of a public vote on a entertainment project. And mind you, this doesn't include just the counties, right? This includes, uh, again, we mentioned the, the residential housing, hotel, other commercial development. This is a large scale project. And this potentially puts the, all that in jeopardy because you need the residential units to make this whole thing work, right? Um, so the timing of this to me is very curious and it's like if they really were that concerned about it back when they were first starting to negotiate why not throw it there right so uh, to me it's bogus uh, i don't think it has any legal merit um to me it's it's a pr stunt by the city of phoenix um yeah. anything less than that uh, i'm curious Noah, do you see it any other way because the, the only thing that i see from this is the Coy is phoenix trying to stick it to the coyotes in a public form it's weird that Phoenix has been a part of this because again, like we've talked about, I mean, they, the coyotes didn't even play in Phoenix basically, you know, for the better part of their time, you know, before First, they, what, three years, maybe. Yeah. When, before yeah. they, before they were in Tempe. So it's, it's a really odd move. Um, I guess I, I would say overall to summarize, uh, if you thought the Stanley Cup playoffs first round were interesting, just wait till the fireworks in May, I guess. Yeah. Um, that's kind of a weird, weird thing. But uh, yeah, the Coyotes um, 
like they've had to do for the past probably five years or so, just kind of got to keep their head down <laughs> and uh, kind of hope everything blows over a little bit because, yeah, it, it's a very weird thing. It doesn't make sense to me um, why another city. I mean, that would be like, again, that would be like the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport calling Minot International and saying, hey, you've got zoning issues in your city. Like, okay, but what's it to you kind of thing? Right. You know, like it's... <laughs> You and know, and, funny I, you and, mentioned... and, and I get it on, on the grounds of like, hey, we weren't allowed to do this as a city. Why are they allowed to do this? Can we talk about the zoning pieces? But you don't sue the city. You you kind of have a, a different, more tactful way of doing this. But maybe, again, like you said, sounds like more of a statement than anything to kind of ruffle yeah. some feathers. And, you know, we talked about this last week, too. Uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul was involved in this, too, actually, not that long ago, about 10, 12 years ago, where there was concerns about that new runway going north and south through south Minneapolis. And uh, the MAC, or the Metropolitan Airport Commission, did install not only sound barriers on the airport grounds, they actually paid money to install soundproofing in residences' roofs. Um, yeah. So it's not like this can't be done. Um, so, again, with everything that's there... Uh, again, it's it's a hit piece uh, by the city of Phoenix and by Sky Harbor Airport, um, yeah. essentially trying to derail this project. And essentially, they're trying to push the coyotes out. Um, it's interesting. Again, I'm not sure what they yeah. what they don't gain in this or what what what's the injury to them. And I'm not just talking about the lawsuit. I'm talking why they don't want them there. I just I don't get it. Yeah. So. It's interesting. What's not hearsay, uh, this coming out on Monday, uh, Carson Briere dismissed from Mercyhurst hockey team on Monday, which wow. is really interesting. Uh, and their statement was even more cryptic. Uh, I just said um, a statement on behalf of Mercyhurst University and Mercyhurst Athletics. And it's just said Carson Briere has been removed from the hockey team. Mercyhurst cannot comment further on this matter. I mean, yeah. okay. Um, interesting. So, of course, the son of, uh, you know, Flyers, interim GM Danny Breer, in case you guys didn't know that, uh, that kind of social media video going viral of him pushing uh, that wheelchair down the stairs at a bar. Um, him and another player, Patrick Carosi, they both play, um, uh, Carosi plays for the lacrosse team at Mercyhurst, um, were each charged with three misdemeanor charges of criminal mischief, criminal conspiracy to commit mischief and disorderly conduct. They're actually scheduled to appear in court May 22nd, actually a week after uh, Tempe decides whatever they're going to be doing. Um, so, of course, uh, Sydney Benz, uh, who is the owner of the wheelchair, talked about um, how the left brake handle, right armrest, rear handle, and the wheels um, were all bent, and the wheelchair is worth about $2,000 and was purchased about a year ago. So all those things were damaged. Um, let's not forget, of course, like we talked about last week, Breer also dismissed from Arizona State in 2019 for team rules violations. Um yeah, future's not looking bright. Um, he's a good hockey player, but again, it, we talk about these situations, um, you know, to a larger extent, a guy like Mitchell Miller, for example, which is a, a, a huge leap and a jump, I think, from this situation, but Quite a of bit. a similar vein, like your decisions have an impact. Yeah, and uh, you know, Noah, I, I, this may be a hot take, um, and I'm fully prepared to take the heat on this, but I just I can't imagine that the dismissal solely stems from this one incident. Yeah. Um, you know, I just it, I'm not because here's the thing. He's young. Uh, was to say that, we you know, we all probably when we were his age, you know, probably made some decisions in, shall we say, male judgment that we probably would look back and say, OK, 
at maybe the time I thought in my head it was not, you know, it wasn't received the way I thought maybe it was going to be received. Um, I just find it shocking that, you know, that this move is actually made a little bit. I'm actually not, I'm actually not going to lie. Granted, I know he's a history, um, but you kind of wonder throughout the process of whether the school or the team, if there was just other underlying things. Yeah. Um, and maybe the culmination of those led to this decision. Um, that's kind of my take on it, Noah. Um, not, and, and, and let me just clarify. I'm not saying that I disagree with the decision. I'm not saying that this incident doesn't rise to the level where it could be, shall we say, a dismissive offense. But I'm a little shocked because I think, you know, yeah. let's just say it was a hockey player that hadn't had maybe other things going on behind the scenes, this thing's happened and maybe the way it was handled kind of thing, you know, Hey, that was, you know, my bad yeah. kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I'm curious. So w- what do you think? You know, I mean, we've had moments too. I mean, let's be honest where we've covered stuff even for St. Cloud and we've heard of like players who like got into a fight at a bar or something like that. And like, I think this is kind of akin to some of those things. Like, yes, it was, it wasn't, it was pretty classless and, you know, not very tactful by him. And, you know, not a good thing that there was a camera sitting 10 feet above them when it all happened, obviously. But, you know, with that being said, again, we've talked about this quite a bit with some instances who I don't want to say they were worse, but when you're dealing with things like racism, sexual assault, things of that kind of nature, you know, you kind of enter into a different vein. Uh, Yeah. We've always kind of been, a, a podcast about second chances for Dan or for Danny Breer's kid. It, it sound like it's, it's been chance four or five in some cases, mm-hmm. but at the same time, um, he's going to have to figure it out. And like you said, I, I, I was kind of surprised that this didn't stay internal to the point where the discipline was internal. But I mean, the fact that he's appearing in court, I mean, you know, that might be something that kind of puts Mercyhurst on edge a little bit as well, too. Probably. I'm not sure. Um, could be because you kind of wonder, you know, and again, this is, I think, a you know, I regret this is a criminal matter, but the reality yeah. is from everything that that wheelchair owner has said that all she wants is just the wheelchair fixed, right? She wants yeah. it or replaced, whichever um, is, shall we say, the most, you know, applicable. appropriate, applicable yeah. um, solution. Um, <clears throat> but being that these are criminal charges, not just civil charges, right? It's not like she just said, hey. I'm suing you for what five thousand. Fix the wheelchair. Be done with it. The file. The fact that there's criminal charges, you kind of wonder if that tips the scale. Um, like you said, for the university, for the team, and again, if this was a player, in my opinion, that this is a one-off. I don't know. We see the same, um, shall we say, dismissal. Um, but being that he has a history, and granted, Mercyhurst probably does not care about what happened before they got to their doors. But you do kind of wonder if there were other things that they were aware of or other conversations that they've had. Um, Or like I said, maybe the way that he handled it post the incident um, that said, you know what, this is less of a, just a judgment lack of, you know, a judgment error in one, you know, very acute sense, but more of a a pattern, a pattern or a broad um, sort of, you know, uh, pattern of thinking is what I'm yeah absolutely uh other news here in the hockey world very quickly uh Sidney Crosby on a lighter note the 15th player in NHL history to reach 1500 points he did it in just under 1200 games uh congrats to him Connor McDavid the first player since Mario Lemieux in 1995-96 let me put this in perspective for you people I wasn't even alive when this happened uh you know, uh, the 150 point mark for Connor McDavid, the first player to hit it since the mid nineties, a mighty 
mighty impressive boy he's just otherworldly hockey player obviously um and then on the injury side of things we've only got a pair of them from the same team not related to the minnesota wild anyway uh colorado's <laughs> keel mccarr and darren helm out indefinitely with lower body injuries And welcome into the show, episode 157. Nick Max and Noah Grant here on this Sunday in the middle of April. And a lot of things that we're going to discuss wrapping up the men's college hockey season for the most part here. So that means a couple of things um, for scheduling. So let's kind of get those out of the way first. Um, we did talk about doing um, some sort of recap for the women's program. We still intend on doing that. We're probably going to wait another week just because we want to see if anything kind of kind of unfolds as far as that is. And we also have been hitting the men's side a little bit heavily and our guest is going to transition into that. So we kind of just want to follow that Avenue and then close the book on that. I think for the most part, besides maybe some little rumblings that we'll hear as we go through. Um, so what does that mean? Our special guest, of course, Brett Larson coming on with us. We're going to interview him on this upcoming Wednesday. That interview is going to come out when the main portion of the show would come out sometime during the weekend, probably on Sunday. Um, and we might throw a little bit of a Minnesota Wild playoff preview into that as well. We might do something with that maybe later in the week, just something small, 15, 20 minutes on top of that interview. And that's going to be the show for next week. We're essentially taking the week off if you want to be fair about it, essentially a pretty light show for us. And then the following week, we probably intend to cover a little bit more on the women's side of things and kind of take a look outside the men's college hockey landscape. And of course, the Wild will be um, knee deep in their playoff series in the first round too. So um, that's kind of the plan. So if it feels like, you know, you might have a Saturday release, Sunday release, Monday release coming up this next week. I'm also headed home this weekend as well too. So, um, you know, just a couple of pieces that we're juggling as well. So it's going to be Brett Larson, 40, 45 minute interview, and then maybe uh, an hour total for the show with a little bit of Minnesota wild stuff kind of coming out of that as well, too. So just some anticipation for listeners and viewers as they look forward to next week for us. Um, it's been a wonderful hockey season in the college hockey world. It's been exciting. Um, we are looking for the the pseudo time off. It's going to be really nice as well, too, though. Mm -hmm. Um moving through so um but let's move on over to the frozen four right away uh the the men's hockey season is now done uh of course the early game in this one uh number one minnesota number five bu uh score ended up not being close because of a couple empty netters but the gophers um you know had to kind of scratch and claw their way out of that one they did so in period number three um i'm guessing they would have liked to have carried the same effort into another matchup this weekend but um uh, this uh terriers <clears throat> team for the first couple of periods um you know, Minnesota was largely the better team in this hockey game still, I would say. But, yes, I mean, it wasn't a, a totally unfair fight. No, it wasn't. Um, you got to credit BU. They 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 pushed back. Um, but the thing is, again, grade eight chances. They just didn't have many of them. And defensively, too, um, I felt like BU at, at times were a bit, shall we say, disorganized, um, especially in their own zone in the third, um, especially when Minnesota decided to take charge. Um but first 40 minutes, BU hung in there. Um, you know, maybe the beneficiary of a couple of bounces here and there too. But um, at the end of it, you got to credit BU. They had their foot in the gas for most of that hockey game. Uh, but you did get the sense too, as we saw in other matchups, that once the Gophers took that 3-2 to two lead, that there was definitely, um, shall we say, the shoulders uh, definitely sank a bit. And uh, you could see that BU yeah. uh, got a little bit desperate, I think a little bit too early. Um, and then once the Gophers, again, was it? John Middlestad twice in 20242. That's tough. Um, especially uh, Luke Middlestad. That's right. Luke Middlestad, right? Yeah, John, John scored on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm trying to remember all the metal stats, right? Casey, Luke, John. it just wasn't Casey. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Right. Some guy from Meat and Prairie named middle set. How about that? So, um, but uh, that's deflating. Right. And you, you could just tell that BU saw the mountain. They had to climb and credit the Gophers too. Um, played a smart uh, third period uh, and was able to close out the game. Like you said, two empty netters, but it certainly wasn't a dominant game from start to finish. I think some people were thinking, I thought it was going to be a, a closer match too, but definitely got away in the third, but overall pretty good game. I would think. Yeah, it certainly was, um, you know, until the third period, but you kind of had that understanding, you know, especially when you, you know, have opportunities, you know, on the man advantage as well to Minnesota, their firepower is just going to be a bit too much. I think the Terriers yeah. were the only team that was, you know, I think every other team in that, uh, that tournament, of course, was what you would say grade A tier one teams. BU was kind of like a high tier two. I think they were just kind of maybe half a step below the rest of those teams and kind of what they brought to the table. And you knew they were going to have to have a good goaltending effort, which they did. Drew Comesso, you know, kept them in that hockey game, but just, you know, not enough firepower to kind of match Minnesota in that matchup. And uh, what a lot of us anticipated is that, you know, Minnesota was going to take care of business on that Thursday night in the early game. Uh, Michigan Quinnipiac, number three, number two. Um, <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> yeah, that this Quinnipiac team, again, uh, we talked about how they could be a quote-unquote dark horse candidate uh, and their ability, obviously, to make plays. And uh, really, when you look at Rand Pecknold's style, Geneve Perrette has been a godsend for them. Let's not, you know, sugarcoat that but uh really an emphasis on the defensive side of the game with that group and this year they really kind of saw their offensive input also flourish especially against teams not in the ecac or hockey east um they got the job done against this michigan team uh, you know some pretty clutch goals down the stretch in the third period and um this wolverines team for everything adam fantilli has said didn't really pan out for them no, and you know what? Very impressive by Quinnipiac, especially, yeah. you know, and we're obviously going to talk about the championship game because mm -hmm. it continued a lot of the things they did against Michigan into the game against the Gophers. But how about that relentless forecheck one? Uh, number two, their transition play. Holy cow. Um, yeah. And part of that is that one, three run, right? Noah, when you're stacking up at the blue line and you're able to create those turnovers at those gray areas, right? Especially in front of their blue line. And then it was a lot of times it was four or five men going up the ice together North um, in the, um, so at the end of it, uh, Quinny Piac just executed that game plan to a mm -hmm. T and then throwing pucks in net, right? How many, I think they had what, two bank shots off of um, uh, Portillo in that game, a couple from yeah. behind the net, but you know, they were relentless uh, to me. They, they played a smart brand um, defensively. They were very, very solid. Um, again, uh, Yanni Perez, as you mentioned, uh, we talked about how, how good he's been and although the system in firm does help him quite a bit so when you get to this stage uh you know in the national tournament you know you need everybody to be playing at your best but impressive win um just to me they they, they didn't look out of place right i think that was the big yeah. thing we were kind of you know it's like okay we know this team can play defense but can they counter punch um to me i don't know i'm not sure if you saw the same thing but to me they were carrying a lot of the uh, the offensive forecheck pressure especially the latter half of that game yeah, well, I think the thing that I was about to go to is that they were arguably the most consistent team in the tournament, mm -hmm. um, you know, especially in the Frozen Four, and uh, obviously it helped them down the stretch. Um, but, you know, with that being said, it's their group was not a group that you looked at. And, you know, we talked about Michigan and Minnesota when they're firing all cylinders. They're 
the two best teams in college hockey. I still maintain yep. that notion even after last weekend. But Quinnipiac might have been the most consistent down the stretch. Now, you know, some of those growing pains, you know, you have that scare against the last place team in the pairwise a month and a half prior against Dartmouth, right? You almost lose that hockey game. Uh, you know, you don't make it to the championship game in your own conference tournament. You know, things, hiccups like that, you know, that's where we talk about even when we discuss the Huskies. How do you move on from those things? How do you get mm-hmm. that mental reset going? Do you learn from it quickly? Do you apply it appropriately? Uh, Quinnipiac and Rana Pecknold, of course, you know, there's a reason why he's coached at the international level, right? You know, there's yep. a reason why he's selected for those sorts of things. Um, and that carrying on over into Saturday's game, Michigan, um, I thought, you know, I, I don't know that they look poor, but again, they look like a team that I don't want to say overconfident, but it, they just kind of had this thought of like, oh, we're, you know, we're, we're going to be fine. You know, we're going to take care of this. And that, that kind of confidence is important in the game of hockey, but yep. they kind of almost <clears throat> struck me as a group on that Thursday night that it was like, you know, they almost never really felt the pressure. And that was maybe a bad thing kind of thing. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like they, they yeah. didn't sense the oncoming freight train. <laughs> well, and also too, that when we talk about adversity, right. And how, when we go back to St. Cloud season, right. And how they were able to pull it together at the right time, that adversity is a good thing, right? Because it can show you that, Hey, it's about controlling your emotions and more so uh, when a team like Quinnipiac was obviously frustrating Michigan, especially to the neutral zone on their four check, Michigan wasn't getting the looks that they normally get. Right. So uh, when it happens for 20 minutes, you're so confident for Michigan. If it happens to 40, you're starting to grip the sticks tight. You're starting to be like, okay. And then you start to get away from the things you do well. You start to get away from your structure. Um, and then Quinnipiac takes advantage, right? And it's one of those things where when you have a high-flying offense like Michigan, and then again, Minnesota does, when you're not faced with that type of, shall we say, resistance, you know, in, in a mm-hmm. consistent format, um, it does test your mental well-being in a game like this because at the end of it, you, you get the urge to adjust to get the urge to change something because hey what i'm doing isn't working right we're not getting those clean zone entries with possession you know and then what do we do right then you have to then you start doing these individual plays trying to beat guys one-on-one uh because we're the more skilled team right adam fantilli you know uh hughes so it's it, it became a one-on-one style for michigan towards the third and uh right. pack just essentially made michigan beat themselves i would argue yeah, certainly. And, uh, you know, obviously that Quinnipiac team took care of business and you kind of looked at it and said, oh, this might be a more intriguing matchup than maybe a lot of people think in the championship game. And uh, it turns out it was. Um, yeah. Attendance 19,444 for the national championship game. That's awesome. Yeah, I had a lot of friends in attendance for that. I mean, it was a great hockey game all the way around. Um, Quinnipiac did not score in the first. They scored in every period after. So, um, And Minnesota only tallied one in the first two periods of the hockey game, quite obviously. Shot 7-4 Minnesota in the first, 11-6 Quinnipiac in the second, 14-2 in the third period for the Bobcats. And, of course, one to nothing because 10 seconds in has – Interesting uh, implications. Um, the middle stat boy by the name of John <laughs> did score on Saturday yeah. um, from Connor Kurth at the 535 mark. Um, Brock Faber um, found Jackson Nelson for his 10th, 424 into the second. You kind of thought, oh, Minnesota, you know, they might have a chance to break this game open. Um, Christophe Tellier, um, the former Minotauro AP player for one game um, from Zach Metza, 
um, three minutes later, got Quinnipiac back into it. And I think that was important just for that mental reset of like, okay, we're still in this. Mm-hmm. Settle down. We're all right. Um, interesting penalty call in period number three. Metza and Sam Lipkin find Colin Graff, who's had a whale of a season with the extra attacker on the back door um, for his 21st of the season with just under three minutes to play in that hockey game. And then Jacob Quillian, his 19th from Lipkin and Metza, 10 seconds in. Bit of a defensive breakdown between the deep pairing of Jackson Lacombe uh, stepping to the strong side, and the weak side was wide open, and just a sneaky little five-hole shot that found its way through for the national championship game-winning goal. Quinnipiac wins this one 3-2. to two. Um, Face-offs were largely in favor of Quinnipiac. They won mm-hmm. 34. They lost 23. Um you know, and I Justin Close tried to keep Minnesota in that hockey game. And Eve Peretz had a great game, especially in the second half. But this Minnesota team, um, you know, a lot of Gophers fans have talked objective Gophers fans, which you got to search sometimes. Um, <laughs> you, uh, you know, had talked about it. They're like that was Minnesota's game to lose, and they they let it slip away, and they ultimately deserve to lose that hockey game the way they played in the second half. I mean, Quinnipiac came Quinnipiac came back. They pushed. Minnesota was on their heels. Um, I I almost want to say it was akin to the game that we saw in Fargo a little bit, except Minnesota ju- Minnesota just didn't get that bounce that they earned against St. Cloud two weeks prior. Correct. Um, the Bobcats, their first national championship in program history and their second ever f- national championship game appearance. I know another school that hopefully next year would like to follow suit. Um, right. <clears throat> Minnesota waiting 20 years for their next and sixth national championship. They're going to have to wait at least 21 as they lose that one, 10 seconds into overtime. What a hockey game. What a finish. Well, what a finish. If you're a Gophers fan, it was not quite the finish, but at the, uh, again, I, I think here's where we have to make the uh, you know, unpopular stance, right? The Gophers lost that game. Yeah. They 100% lost that game uh, Two nothing. Yeah, Quinnipiac responds nice, but you're still up 2-1. But, Noah, what drives me nuts, and I'm glad you brought up the St. Cloud game because at the end of it, Minnesota did the same game plan. They were in a shell, and had Kyler Kupka had not had a puck bounce over his stick, it could be St. Cloud that we're talking about in the Frozen Four and not the Gophers, right? It was the exact same game Mm plan. And you sort of got the sense that the Gophers, you know, and, and... Please correct me if I'm wrong. When you've got some of the most talented forwards in college hockey and you decide that for the last, I would argue, almost 40 minutes that you're going to go into essentially a sit back and let's try to defend this up, you're taking your biggest asset off of the game table. And that that to me just puzzled me, especially when it's the national championship game, right? I just kind of felt like just... it. Two wasn't going to be enough. Yeah, there's well, we, no way. Well, we talk about it too. Is you know some teams have a game plan. If there was any of the two teams that you expected to maybe run that game plan, I don't think it was Minnesota. Um, no. And you you can't sit back in those types of hockey games. You have to go and kind of take charge. And Minnesota has a, a weird quirk or had a weird quirk this season. And let's not forget the Gophers hell of a season for them this year. Yeah. The first time in the national championship game since 2014 and Shane Goss's bear rocked the world. But um, you know, that the thing that they had down the stretch um, and maybe through portions of the season too, that is almost more scary than the polar opposite is they had fantastic starts to hockey games 
but yep. they couldn't close games out. They weren't finishing games strong. And that's almost scarier than having really poor starts and then warming up as the game goes along. Because realistically, most nights, if the teams are evenly matched, the game's not going to get out of hand in the first 20 or 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. So if you have a team that starts slow but finishes hot, that's still a positive to know that if your starts can be a little bit better, you're only going to get better through the game. If you start red hot and then suddenly when the heat gets turned up in the kitchen, you start to simmer off. That's a scary thing because as Minnesota found out, you stand on your heels. You essentially try to weather the storm penalty calls or not, which I mean, we can talk about that if you want. It's we can, you, but I, I think mean, it's I a mean, good it's, point. Yeah. I mean, it's you, you didn't. And, and the call, they probably should have taken them both, but you know, yeah. at the, at the same time, you got to move your feet. You got to, be on the attack. The Gophers weren't. They were outshot by 12. They only tallied. When is the la last time the Gophers tallied only two shots in a period? I'm not sure if that's happened all season. You honestly. know what I mean? So, I mean, Quinnipiac, credit <laughs> yeah. to them. The conversation obviously was, and we saw it on the Quinnipiac Barstool, is, you know, it was like, oh, what's the conversation about the Bobcats? Oh, they say we don't play anybody. I'm still going to maintain they had the 45th hardest strength of schedule this season they really don't play a lot of strong teams they don't however however that doesn't mean that your team can't be prepared and ready when it comes to the tournament time Rand Pecknell's teams usually are yeah. um Quinnipiac like we said you know maybe had a bit of an easier ride as far as strength of schedule and I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not not gonna take that away from them because really their their schedule besides their non-conference was extremely favorable yep but they hardly uh, faltered you know, and that's the same conversation we talked about with Minnesota all year. Everyone said, should they be number one, which we're finding out still a curse. Um, regardless, they hardly faltered this season, too. And one team had to win. Quinnipiac was prepared with their game plan. And you kind of wonder, uh, you know, what the conversation is going to be around Minnesota. And you talked about consistency, right? They were the most mm -hmm. consistent team through 60 minutes, right? They threw everything in the kitchen sink. Um, at the Gophers, mind you, I think it took them about five, 10 minutes to get settled into that hockey game. Yeah. Uh, but past the 10 minute mark of the first Bobcats controlled that game. And what's I think more discouraging about that. It is the Gophers decided they were going to be on their heels. Right. And I think that's yeah. the biggest thing, right? Is it's not like the Gophers were playing press. They were playing that hard, aggressive forechecking style that we expected to see from them, especially in this spot. Yeah. And whether it was strong play by Quinnipiac or shots off the post, you know, the Gophers weren't controlling the offensive play. They were like, no, you come to us. And to me, again, I just, it boggles my mind that when you've got such weapons up front and sometimes the best defense is to be on offense, right? Is whether you even try to put a puck on net, if you're cycling down, I guarantee the way that Quinnipiac was running around in that game, you, I got the sense that if you can maybe just tire them out, work below yeah. their red line, right? Um, that was going to be a much tougher mountain to climb as you move forward throughout that game. And you kind of wonder if Quinnipiac would have had the energy if it was still a 2-1 game Later on, let's say in the third, yeah. if it's still 2-1, uh, to come back in the hockey game. I'm going to sit here and say this, and I'm, I'm not sure if you're with me, Noah. I think that penalty call, yep, sure, should have taken them both. I don't disagree with that. But you made it, you, it's a moot point. Because to me, if the Gophers executed the game plan that we've seen them in other parts of the year, it shouldn't matter. You're the clear yeah. offensive juggernaut in this matchup. You clearly made the decision that 
you weren't going to trust your offense. You were going to try to play defense. And at the end of it, that's what cost them the game, not a penalty call that the NCHC crew, um, I can't wait to hear Mike Schmidt's comments on this, uh, you know, decided <sighs> that... <clears throat> That this was a high stick. Yeah, both players are tangled up. I'd be very curious to know what what the decision was not to take two there, especially when the referee, we saw him roll his hands, right? The close referee said, okay, no, no, just keep going, yeah. right? I'm, I'm going to let him play, right? Yeah. But it was the backside ref that saw the high stick. I, I still find that odd. But again, I, I just, I don't know. I think the Gophers should have been much more on the attack, playing to what their strength is, which is uh, their prowess on the offense, and they didn't do it. Well, it's first one to three, right? And, you know, if the yeah. Gophers score the third goal before Quinnipiac has a chance to respond in that hockey game, you know, I think all bets are off. But, yep. you know, that's uh, that's the other thing, too, is, you know, Quinnipiac hung around, you know, eerily similar in some senses. Um, actually, it, shots on goal-wise, actually, maybe not. Almost akin to Mankato's loss to Denver in the sense where yep. the Mavs, they didn't feel flustered with their game plan, but they came out, you know, in the tail end of the second and the start of the third period, and they just didn't really grasp, you know, the moment. And Denver came out high flying and they were ready to go. Obviously, a much larger spread 5 1 in that hockey game, but kind of a similar notion where the Mavs, who largely relied on a defensive structure a little bit different than the Gophers, I was going to say, still, <laughs> still, regardless, though. Even if you're relying on a defensive structure, you have to find ways to alleviate pressure. Minnesota allowed mm-hmm. 14 shots compared to two on the other side. Very like you don't even have to watch the hockey game to to know what the box score is indicative of. You know, heading into mm-hmm. that, I mean, you you have to find a way to to make plays. So um, you do it, and and no, I, I think the other thing is too when you watch that third period, Quinnipiac was getting good chances right yeah uh they were creating really good opportunities at the net they were throwing there were bodies there there was a lot of rebounds that close was given up and granted you couldn't see a lot of these shots coming yeah. through right uh gophers i think did collapse well but again it's like this is not the goal for strength this is not a team you know this team is not built to be this you know survive and move on in the you defensive know, zone type team you know you guys asked me in mncaa two weeks ago when we recapped the saint cloud minnesota game and i said I, I something kind of akin to oh you know you asked me a question about how good minnesota's defensive structure was late in that hockey game and i said it was good but you know i don't know that they managed the puck particularly well it's not like they were you know having clean zone exits that sort of thing and i remember Drew Cove and a couple others kind of give me this look like what Minnesota they're still like they're a very well-rounded team and they played just fine in that hockey game you kind of started to see the cracks in the eggshell a little bit here you know Minnesota like you mentioned has not been put in that position a ton by a lot of teams um and when you know crap kind of hit the fan a little bit like you said it was that collapse mentality but you know, good teams, and I think Quinnipiac is one of them. And I think the game against Ohio State was a good back and forth matchup for them. Was. You know, where Quinnipiac has a really good ability to settle the play down in their own zone, find a first man, and if not, alleviate pressure off the glass, high floats, far side blue, um, and just make plays. And Minnesota didn't really have that ability, ended up costing them in the national championship yeah. game. So, a uh, great hockey game, all things considered. Yeah. Um, I do want to move over to uh, the season recap for the NCAA just uh, for the sake of time here, because I know that we want to spend some time on the player moves as well, too. Um, so kind of overall looking at the recap, and maybe we can pull up the pairwise uh, just for fun. Before we get to that, though, I, I should say, 
Um, we did have some St. Cloud news, so I don't want to miss that as well. Um, like we said, we'll talk to Brett Larson this week. Uh, Jackson Castor for the Huskies signing with the Florida Everblades in the ECHL, so wishing him the best of luck. Uh, Grant Cruikshank and AHL deal with the Marlies and up in Toronto there, so um, kind of an interesting fit. Um, Zach Okabe, Dylan Anhorn still have not heard anything from them. Andre Trebal expected to sign a pro contract, have not heard anything as of yet. Yami Kranela did sign one and scored for Wilkes-Barre Scranton the other he night. Did. So congrats to him. Aiden Spellacy, also his first professional goal at the ECHL level too. So congratulations to both of those guys um, on tallying there. And then the other side of this too, on the women's side um, of things, seven players headed to the world championships, April 5 for 16 in Brampton right now. So um, four on the current roster, Clara Himlerova, Laura Zimmerman, Svenja Vogt, and Sonia Hola all are headed there as well. Um, and then I believe a couple of players, former players, uh, you need a Newland who scored an unbelievable goal the other day, by the way, that was a beautiful mm-hmm. goal. Germany had a good push the other night as well too. Laura Kluga as well. Um, and then uh, Sofiana Sunderland, who has signed her letter of intent for the Huskies to play this fall also was playing for Finland as well when they won uh, the winter Olympics bronze medal last Olympics. And then of course she's playing in the tournament now. So a couple of Huskies to kind of keep an eye on, on there. But as far as the overall recap of this season here, um, was there, was there anything, I guess, maybe let's start with this. Was there anything that surprised you this season? Like if you think back to the entire year, kind of our anticipation, I know that's kind of a loaded question, but is there, is there one team, one conference, one situation that you went, boy, that just, was so off the wall from what I expected or, you know, was it just more the overall parody that we saw in college hockey where it was like, wow, there are teams like Quinnipiac and the ACAC. There are teams here that it's 10 years ago. It was like, okay, they are signed, sealed and delivered. They're not coming back in this hockey game. And now it's, this is a fair fight. Mm -hmm. Um, How about this? Let's stick with the NCHC, right? Um, North Dakota. What the hell? Um, (laughs) Um, So, uh, and again, it's, you know, it, we're seeing it now, right? They've got what one defenseman on the roster. Um, yeah, got a pretty nice goaltender, but, uh, yeast that's, that's still yeah. an uphill battle, uh, to try to get a whole brand new defensive core to try to build chemistry and, and to play the Barry's system. Uh, that's yikes. That's a tall order. Um, that one surprised me a bit. Yeah. Um, about Omaha, Omaha really, yeah. you know, kind of being consistent down the on the stretch with then, couldn't uh for whatever reason you know they always at least as of late they seem to have owned that matchup against uh north dakota they just couldn't quite finish the job down there uh to get to the nchc frozen faceoff st cloud um i think just for how well they were playing in that first half of the season um and then once obviously the anhorn injury had to kind of tweak things a bit it took them some time but made a decent run themselves um how about the fall from grace with mankato holy yeah. cow Yikes. Um, and then the Big Ten. Let's talk about the rise of the Big Ten, right? Um, yeah. Wisconsin, rip. Uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I don't know. I, I think the overarching theme to this is, yeah, college, there's parity again. Um, and it's fantastic, honestly. Um, I, I like the fact that, yeah, you got you got your legacy programs, you know, your Minnesota, your Michigan, um, Ohio States, you know, just mm-hmm. name a few that are back to being relevant. I think that brings eyes to the game. Uh, glad that St. Cloud was able to, you know, kind of weather their own different storms and was able to make a good push. And granted yeah. one 
puck that doesn't bounce could have changed their fortunes too. But college hockey's growing and it's getting better. Um, you know, and we saw even with Colorado College, right? I think that the sweetheart story with the Tigers and and, and again with Chris Mayotte, who is a beauty of a human being and a coach, just yeah. how much these programs and these different coaches could have an impact, right? Uh, again, Pecknold, right? We talked about what he's known as a coach, what he demands out of his players, uh, and he's got them to another now a national championship, first time in program history. So um, it was a fun season. Yeah, it was. you know, it was a fun season. Um, I know that, you know, at the end of the day, there's still a lot of questions surrounding, uh, shall we say, some conferences, the future there, some independence too. But at the end of it, I think for college hockey, uh, holy cow. And let's not forget, sorry, Max Beach, UMD. That was, a, yeah. that was, that was know, uncharacteristically a struggle for them. You know, St. Cloud as well, too. They're going to lose probably 10 bodies, if not more. So, uh, you know, yeah. taking a look at that roster change as well, too. The Huskies had a great season, I think, all things considered. I know they faltered a little yeah. bit in the NCHC down in the second half. But overall, a very exciting season for this club. And, of course, we'll discuss that a little bit more as we move into next week um, with our special guest. Um, NCHC-wise, like you mentioned, Colorado College. You know I'm high on the Tigers. Apparently everybody else is upset by that. But, um, yeah, Omaha surprised a little bit. Western Michigan kind of surprised me down the stretch, how they kind of really struggled um, for how good of a season that they had, obviously. Alaska, Fairbanks, how can you not love the fairy tale storyline that was not meant to be, unfortunately. That was an mm -hmm. exciting thing. Uh, Hockey East really gave us intrigue as far as, like, a tale of two halves where we had teams that we expected were going to be totally in it and then teams totally weren't. Um, the what highlight happens. of that, the highlight of that, of course, uh, you know, Devin Levi for Northeastern, by the way, had them in yeah. third place by a single point. I, I still go back to that point where you need Peretz, obviously he has his national championship. So it's a moot point, but you know, him ended up him ending up with a Richter, obviously like, you know, there's no surprise to me just by the fact that that Northeastern Huskies team would have been a lot worse off without him. Yes. Um, Merrimack as well too, even though they had a rocky second half at times, I mean, first time in 30 years that they've really had the success like that for that program. It was fun to see them and see them, you know, kind of flourish a little bit. I know that they didn't have the finish to the season that they would have liked, but I mean, still, they were in the big dance. And I think yeah. that that's, that's great for that program. Um, Harvard, a bit of a disappointment down the stretch, obviously. Um, actually, the injury from the ECAC, the lower half teams, really giving the top teams fits at times. Yeah. Um, you know, Quinnipiac had a couple of scares. Harvard had some games not go their way. Cornell had to be good down the stretch. We kind of thought that, you know, uh, like, for example, Colgate might have a good run at the end. But uh, interesting in that regard. Uh, also, Atlantic hockey as well. Not the team we expected to come out of that. And the mm -hmm. team that did come out of it gave Minnesota a run for their they money in, in the first 40 minutes of that hockey game. So that was exciting. Um, you know, CCHA-wise, you know, again, a, a tale of two halves. You know, what happened to Bowling Green and Northern Michigan? And then Michigan Tech limped in the playoffs, literally. And you could kind of yeah. see that. Um, and then the Big Ten, like you talked about, the rise of that, uh, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Michigan State, and Penn State all separated by four points in the two through six spot in that conference. I mean, that certainly had about as much parity as any conference, but they showed it. I mean, you look at the goal differential, 52 to five in the first eight games of the NCAA tournament. That's unprecedented. And I can't imagine a tournament that's been like that, you know, in terms of 
I like the spread was so wild because of the parody that we've seen all season. And then ironically enough, we come back to parody for the frozen four in the national championship game to kind of even everything out. All four games were largely competitive in the frozen four. So uh, interesting first time in nine and a half years at the NCH, was not represented as well. So a lot of interesting pieces. Um, the pairwise had a lot of intrigue as well too. And teams that maybe were in a different spot than they should have been, but the math said otherwise. So, all in all, like you mentioned, a fun season. I think, uh, you know, we can maybe transition just quickly. Devin Levi with the Richter, Adam Fantilli with the Hobie. Surprised? Not surprised? What do we think? Well, we predicted Levi last week, um, yep. rightfully so. Again, I think you um, <clears throat> gave enough of an explanation there. I think we're on the same page with that. He deservedly wins the Richter. Um, again, as far as the Richter, it's not just about like, being the best goaltender in terms of skill wise, but what does he mean to his team? If Levi's not on that Northeastern squad, they're a much different. Yeah. Outlook. And that's not taking anything from Peretz. I mean, Peretz was exceptional Correct. too. It's just the system in front of him is very beneficial. And unfortunately for like Peter Love for Michigan tech, they just really struggled down the stretch. They did. Yeah. That, that hurt his, uh, shall we say his resume down the stretch, as you mentioned. Um, I'm a little shocked with Fantilli. Um, and what I mean by that is freshman. Right. It's it's yeah. not often that you see a freshman win this award. Uh, mind you, there were two, right? Logan Cooley and then sophomore Matthews. It wasn't an upperclassman in the hat trick. I, I'm curious to when, when was the last time that happened. Um, yeah. It's probably been some time, but um, I know people point to, you know, his totals, his goals, assists. I know that, you know, essentially he was, on a, he was almost a two point per game player. Um, but I don't know, like, was he the most well-rounded player in this? I don't know. I mean, yeah. I know Logan Cooley offensively great defensively. Again, he's still a young kid. Um, Matthew Nyes, to me, he's the more complete 200 foot player, but you kind of wonder if his slip in point production yeah. is what maybe hurt the voters, you know, in terms of his mind. Um, so with that, maybe Fantilli does deserve it because it's just how dominant he was. Um, well, I'm curious I th- to your thoughts. I well, I, th- I think the only thought I have on this is actually going to be very short lived is uh, somewhere Colin Graf is laughing. Um, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. I, think that, I think that that's just kind of what it ends up being is that, you know, Quinnipiac for everything that everyone said, they got the job done. Now, you know, I think the thing that remember for the Bobcats, it wasn't an easy road. It's not like they did no. what UMass did to St. Cloud where it was definitive. Nonetheless, though, congratulations to them. I mean, it was a heck of a ride. And, you know, all those guys, you know, as Michael Jordan would say, and I took that personally. Um, So, uh, you know, very good college hockey season. The men's season, of course, is done. We look to the NCAA and their player moves very quickly here. A couple of things to note. We'll start on the men's side this week. Luke Hughes from Michigan Steins is entry level deal with the Devils, of course. So I'm headed to New Jersey. Um, Jason Poland of Western Michigan to Colorado. That was a couple of weeks ago. We didn't actually mention it. So I wanted to kind of round out and go back as well as Ryan McAllister um, headed to Florida and the Panthers from Western Michigan. So that Broncos team might have a real tough look to them next year and not in a yeah. good way, not in the cool way that the kids say tough nowadays. I, I had one of my friends say that to me that they're like, yeah, that's tough. And I'm like, is it? And he goes, no, 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 it's, it's, it, it's a good thing. And I'm like, 
Is it? Is it? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not keeping up with what the kids do these days. Um, in the NCHC Imagine side of how things, I feel. <laughs> in the NCHC side of things, we'll start with Colorado College. Matthew Gleason did end up going to St. Thomas. I can't remember mm-hmm. if we mentioned that last week, so we I just did. wanted. To, I figured we did. <clears throat> um, as far as the other men's transfer portal, we've been sticking with the NCHC unless there is anything that we've kind of noticed that. Um, has been notable for the most part. I, in fact, I, I was trying to look. There is one NCHC team that is getting um, another player. I'm assuming it'll show up in our portal. So hopefully it does. We'll start with Colorado College like we did. Um, other guys um, besides this, um, Noah Prokop also anticipated to go to St. Thomas as well. Yep. Um, other than that, no real changes for CC. Denver, um, Owen Ozar, 27 games played as a sophomore. He had six points in the forward side. Tyler Haskins, um, 13 games as a freshman as well. Um, he's headed to Mankato, Haskins is. So um, interesting little pickup there. Uh, Mankato and Wisconsin are going to be two teams that are going to be <laughs> intriguing to watch as we go down the stretch here. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as Miami, Alvin Nielsen from Niagara comes in. He had 24 points as a senior last season. Um also played at Providence uh, the year before. So 40 games played for him this season. So a nice little pickup for Miami. Um, other than that, nobody else has, I guess, junior Michael Holland on the forward side was the only maybe notable one. And we talked about Ludwig Pearson. Alex Murray headed to Niagara on the other side, like we talked about. So no real changes for Miami either. Um, as far as Minnesota Duluth, they've added two players. One of them coming on the back end from North Dakota, though, Luke Bast. Mm-hmm. Um, 13 games played for him as a sophomore. Um, and then the Penn State um, former player, Connor McMenamin, um, the senior forward, had 24 points in 37 games. Two little nice depth pieces for Minnesota Duluth, who's kind of trying to uh, slightly restock on the fly, so to speak, and kind of find some solidarity for that group. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke Bast, uh, I know he didn't get a ton of playing time, but do you think he'll have a better fit in a place like Duluth? Um, he, he better at the end of it, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) um, he he wasn't, shall we say the most, uh, consistent defenseman for North Dakota. Right. Um, so at the end of it, maybe going into a system where Scott Stanley preaches defense, maybe he learns, maybe he grows in that system, but, uh, I think he needs that change of scenery. Um, he obviously fell out of favor late last season with Brad Berry and the fighting Hawks, but, uh, he'll have to, right? I, I think the writing was on the wall for him that uh, it maybe just wasn't a fit. Going to Scott Stanley to stay with him, the NCHC, he'll obviously have a chip on his shoulder too uh, when those two teams match up. But at the end of it, no better coach to learn the defensive side of the game than from Scott Sandlin. Yeah, we'll probably be diving into the player moves a little bit more heavily as we kind of approach, you know, the next couple of weeks too, just because the topics start to dwindle when there's not, you know, four leagues and seasons going on at the same time. You have more time to dive into that. Uh, Omaha added a goaltender, senior netminder from Lake Superior State. Um, is it Eisel, Seth Eisel? I think if I'm pronouncing that name Sounds wrong. Right. If yeah. I, I apologize. He had 14 games this year, a 2.86 and a 9.13 on a Lake Superior State team that was not great. Mm, no. Um, so this is a nice little pickup for Omaha, I think. That Mavs team, I, I know you have the loss of Cam Berg, but... I don't think they're going to be too bad next year, depending on their incoming class. I think that Mavs team is going to be interesting. Um, As far as North Dakota, I can't remember if we mentioned Cooper Moore, if he was part of our group last time. I'm assuming so. He's a defenseman. (laughs) Yeah, Um, we didn't mention him. Yeah, he's headed to Quinnipiac. Not a bad place to go. Um, A Detroit Red 
Yeah, Detroit Red Wings draft pick had 13 points in 31 games as a junior last season. St. Cloud, of course, just Chase Brand and Brady Zemer both entered the portal. Zemer, of course, to Augustana, still waiting to hear on Chase Brand. Um, Western Michigan, here it was, uh, picking up a guy from Northeastern, had 24 points in 35 games as a junior. Sam Col- Colangelo um, coming from Northeastern. He's an Anaheim draft pick. So um, on the other side of that, the only additional entry is Jack Perbix, who had 19 points on the other side. Um also an Anaheim draft pick, two-time transfer, as we know. Uh, Brett Larson, give him a look. Maybe, but what does he what does he bring? Right um, at the end of it, I, I hate to say that probably it wasn't the best worded. 19, uh, po- Nineteen points for Western Michigan yeah. in the NCAA. That's not bad. I mean, no, it's not bad. Uh, I, I think for him, it's it's the defensive side of his game because uh, he's a centerman, right? Yeah, well, I yeah. think the, I think the other thing too. I think Brett's just really hesitant to jump in the portal, and we'll ask him this week. But I mean, I, th- I think it's just hesitant to jump into the portal, just knowing the incoming freshman class that likely is on its way. And I think if you're restocking, you're selective about one, maybe two guys. You know, guys yep. like a Dylan Anhorn that you think are just going to be a perfect assimilation of a fit, no doubt about it, um, and give you a better opportunity than a freshman that's coming in. Uh, yeah, interesting though. I know everybody, you know, based on the namesake, would like to see him in a husky sweater, but you know, wouldn't mind it. And at the end of it, you know, how confident are you in your class? Right? We talked last week in depth for those who uh, didn't see that. Check that out uh, in terms of um, huskies that at least have given us verbal commits. You know, obviously we don't know uh, how some of these kids if they're going to be uh, playing more juniors, um, if they're going to be signing early or say another year. It's hard to say, but. At the end of it, center depth is definitely uh, the big area of need for the Huskies. And I I think Purvis could also add a little sandpaper, right? I I think that's the big thing that he can certainly bring that the Huskies might have. So as a depth center, not the worst thing in the world. And uh, when we talked about some of the Huskies that were, shall we say, odd, not in the roster, shall we say, how about Ryan Roseboro, right? Um, A guy who had the the size at six foot three, uh, just kind of fell out of favor you kind of wonder if maybe jack Purbix takes a look and he kind of is more of that you know play style for that you know third fourth line center that you maybe you want um i wouldn't mind it uh question is again brett knows best right that should be a tagline brett knows best um you know what a uh, t-shirt that'd be nice right (laughs) i have a couple uh, people i'd like to send that to Um, yeah no kidding (laughs) But you, you, like you said, you, he probably has more of a better idea of who he's got coming in, who is maybe stick, you know, who's not. And of course, you, you kind of wonder with Okabe and with uh, Anhorn to some guys um, that do have a fifth year option. You know, is he maybe waiting to see some decisions from them? And again, it's early. Right. No, I think that's the big thing is right. It's it's early. Yeah. And I think for for a head coach, you know, if you're going to dive into the portal, Huskies have been selective in years past. They haven't really gone in and, yeah. you know, reached in the portal. But you do kind of wonder, shall we say, Anhorn moves on, right? Or uh, Zach Okabe moves on, or maybe they're both back. I do think that it changes their approach in the transfer portal. So maybe they're trying to wait to see a little bit more confidently uh, where those two are headed. And if they're sticking around, uh, definitely changes their outlook in terms of what they can utilize in that portal. Yeah, women's side of things with Midgey State. I don't know if we mentioned Taylor Larson had 34 games as a sophomore last year in the back end. She's in the portal for Bemidji. Yep. Um, Nick, I have bad news. Um, oh. So no news from Duluth or Mankato, but Ohio State has added Kelsey King from the Mavs. Yikes. Uh, yeah, that 
Buckeyes team is going to be scary. They're next stacked. Year. They're oh stacked. Oh my goodness. Um, uh, in case you missed it, had 19 points in 34 games as a senior on a Mankato squad that was not that strong. Um, St. Cloud, no changes for them. Um, St. Thomas, no changes. Wisconsin, no changes as well. So other than that, not much to mention on the women's side of things. As far as our last topic in the main portion of the show, the Minnesota Wild, though, um, plenty to talk about with them. And of course, as we move into the last week of the regular season, we will be discussing them in depth, of course. Um, 45, 24, and 10, exactly 100 points on the nose for them. They're two points out of first in the central and two points out of second in the central. Um, sitting in third right now, um, the first place team, Colorado, has a game in hand as well. We'll talk about that in yeah. the extra ice session. I, I looked up the schedules of all the teams and their remaining games this week. So um, they're two points ahead of first in the wild card. That Seattle team has a chance to kind of disrupt a little bit too. So the wild would like to take care of business in their next contest, especially against Chicago tomorrow on Monday. Well, good um, thing Seattle's in the different division, so we don't have to worry about it. No, they... <laughs> Yeah. Well, I get. Uh, yeah. I guess they're in the set. Well, I, I yeah. guess I had the thought of. <laughs> we were thinking about week. Winnipeg. <laughs> been a tough week. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, pay attention to the Kraken. They still have a chance to do some. They do. Things. They do. Yes. <laughs> um, Winnipeg is a cool nine points away in the second wild card spot. Um, I'm going to be honest. I did these notes at two o'clock in the morning. You um, did. <laughs> plus 22 goal differential. The Wild were minus two this week. Um, the past week, they lost by a goal uh, to Vegas, and then they lost 4-1 to Pittsburgh. A really tough showing with some injury bugs there that we'll discuss. And then St. Louis, they won 5-3 to last night. A good response for them. Of course, they finish out the season on Monday in Chicago at home against the Jets, who have no chance of catching them, which is... Nope important apparently um they play them on tuesday and then nashville on the road on thursday to cap off the season they're six two and two in their last 10 um colorado like we mentioned two points ahead dallas as well um colorado has that extra game in hand as well um i mentioned seattle in here but i think i'm gonna gloss over that um kirill kaprizov <laughs> has returned um and gustav nyquist seems to be next on the list which is a big deal considering erickson Eck might be shut down for just the remainder of the regular season potentially um uh, depending more on than that i think yeah depending yeah. um they said about a week for him though so you kind of wonder if week they to week week to week yeah i don't know though you know i think they're playing coy a little bit let's, yeah. let's be real well, that's away. a tough blow for Minnesota. Of course, also losing Mason Shaw for his fourth ACL tear as well. So Jeez. um yeah. This wild team, we'll kind of talk about them in the extra ice session too. But uh, I mean, how big is it for Kaprizov to return? And where does Gustav Nyquist slot into all of this? Uh well, I think knowing you know some of the guys that are fighting a little bit, right? To Erickson Eck. Um, again, I think that's more long term than I think we care to like. Uh that to me is a bigger piece rather than the guys you're coming in but Nyquist looked good um I think he's in again that depth forward that can get you some offense but had a nice shot block at the end too um and, and the game last night uh to kind of seal that one against the blues uh I to me honestly I think for Kaprizov I wasn't so worried about him getting back to game speed I think he could use a game or two he'll get three of them which is fine right but more so just making sure that he's hundred percent healthy, right? If he's not, yeah. I think that's where the bigger concern is. If you're trying to push him back too soon, but came back again, right at the tail end of that expected timeline about that fourth week. Um, have to see again, how he can sort of resurrect uh, Hartman and Zuccarello uh, again, since his absence. Uh, but now with Eric Sinek gone, who do you slot in with Boldy and Johansson, right? Who we used to 
that was such a good secondary line. Uh, yeah. That's going to be the big thing on the fly is, you know, can the Wild find some other magic in terms of their depth scoring? Because really, if you thought about Eric Sinek not being injured, you're going into the playoffs with two lines that can really create, that can really put pucks on net and get great A scoring chances. Now you're back to sort of a half of a line because, again, those uh, three haven't played in a little bit. There's going to be some rust, so thankfully they're going to get some playing time. But beyond that, in the playoffs, it's all about shutting down your opponent's top threats. Uh, beyond that, to me, I'm at bowley has been on a tear, but now with Erickson, that got a lineup and Johansson, I'm a little concerned right now. I am. Um, yeah. I know Marco Rossi's supposed to um, re, uh, be essentially be called up. Um, I know that we'll probably talk about this again, the wild signing Brock Faber this morning to a three-year entry-level contract. Um, does yeah. he get some playing time too? Hard to say. Um, but uh, I don't know. To me, that's it's less about Ny- Nyquist than it is more about, you know, what can you put in between those two on the second line to try to keep that depth scoring buzz alive now that Kaprizov is back. Uh, you have to find something because if you don't, uh, it could be another disappointing playoff run here for the Wild. Yeah, second straight loss to the Vegas Golden Knights, a shootout loss 4-3 to three in the first uh, game of the week, and then that Pittsburgh loss left a lot to be desired. They rebounded yeah. against St. Louis. I know some Wild fans with the injuries, and the, specifically the Pittsburgh loss, they kind of panicked a little bit here. Um, where are we at? How do we assess this week as we head into the final three games of the regular season? How do we kind of uh, you know, make this week a little more palatable that we just saw? Yeah. Uh... Again, I think the loss of Erickson Eck really does jumble this a little bit, right? Um, but right you're, now, you're you're not helping. I'm no, I'm not helping. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the thing is, he was your best shutdown center. Uh, yeah, he did. He did a little things some, right. Some would say he's your only center, depending on the day. But that's that's technically <laughs> fair. Um, so you know, you kind of wonder with the Wild now with Erickson Eck seemingly out of the lineup, which could be significant amount of time um do they change their play again right do they go a little bit more defensive style again you know who how do they roll this lineup again yesterday i thought that they did okay um against st louis but at the end of it there's still some cracks in the armor that i'm not very fond of Um, you know the other thing though is that minnesota with injuries especially just our players they've adjusted you know i mean it's not like they haven't um you know so maybe that you know, again, we've talked about it where teams that have been injury riddled, you think, oh, you, you, you can write them off easily. And sometimes that's the spark or the catalyst that helps you push to that next stage a little bit in, in times too. Minnesota has enough depth pieces. They have enough pieces to fill slots in a roster and be serviceable. The question is who's going to step up down the stretch. You know, the playoffs are kind of made with heroes that essentially are not maybe your star guys. Who that's going to be? It's going to have to be Sam Steele, in my opinion. Yeah. It's going to have to be because, I mean, you talk about a guy that can play center against you. Um, he was the guy that started the season in between Zuccarello and Kaprizov, right? Mm-hmm. And then just couldn't really maintain that level, right? Um, could he slot in between those two? I think they did it last night, didn't they? Um, uh, him against uh, Boldy. I'm going to be honest. Anderson. I didn't watch the game. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was. I've never seen the line chart. Maybe that's what it yeah, was. Um, I, w- but, I was doing the Toro game and then watching the national championship game on the side. So, yeah, it was I, a lot I, of hockey to cover in a short I've, amount of time. I've right? only got uh, two eyes and I can only cross in one direction. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised your uh, your visual you know processor can handle that. Um, it's, it's, but... <laughs> my me- it's my mental one. I'm worried about. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> it's, um, about, it's like the like the Windows 
Windows 3 1997 version at this point. Right. It's not good. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. To me, that the key is Sam Steele, right? He, he's shown that he can play in a top six role. Uh, granted, you know, can he sustain it through a tough playoff run where the physicality uh, picks up where, uh, again, he's, it's going to be a frustrating battle, especially, uh, you know, in the offensive zone. He's, I think he's shown in spurts uh, what he can do, um, but it's go time now, right? Yeah. And for, for the Wild, um, that fourth line, I think I've adjusted well. Uh, minus Mason mm-hmm. Shaw, who just can't catch a break. My gosh, I just you feel yeah, for that kid. Terrible. Seriously, you do. It's terrible. Um, but they've looked all right. Um, so how about defensively though? Um, Kalen Addison hasn't seen the ice in a while. You signed Brock Faber. This is probably a talking point for after the season, Noah. But do you get the sense that Kalen Addison is on his way out? It's weird, isn't it? Um, yeah. You know. Also, do you think Brock Faber gets a look this week? I, I think you have to. Yeah, you know, one thing shocked. Um, yeah, no, it's a weird situation. Although I think the summer could bring a lot here. I think they're really going to kind of see where Matt Dumba's at, um, mm-hmm. and what kind of that process is. I, he definitely feels like a stopgap option rather than a solidified roster spot. I think let's put it that way. Um, yeah. it's an intriguing thing. It seems like a guy that maybe is going to have to earn his medal out of camp uh, again. Maybe I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably the best way I can say. It. You know what? Actually, it reminds me of, and I know that Kellen Anderson has a little bit more offense and punch. But you know, here's a guy that I think the Wild kind of pulled the trigger on in the wrong direction a bit too quickly. How about Mike Riley? Um, and a guy that never really panned out at the NHL level. But I think if you would have given him some more minutes and given him some time to kind of run more minutes that were also sheltered minutes with a good defensive defenseman next to him. He would have been a great catalyst for Minnesota. Um, I know Kalen Addison's got a little bit more natural skill and poise, but nonetheless kind of makes me think of that situation where they kind of ran him out of the building a bit too early for my liking anyway. Um, What do you think? I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? It is. Um, Now there's no question that, you know, he's received some pretty staunch criticism from Bill Guerin on the defensive side of the game. Mind you, he does play defense. So that's interesting. Um, There's no question. (laughs) uh, There's no question what he provides offensively, right? Um, The way he walks the blue line. Again, you mentioned his poise, his ability to see the ice, see the lanes. He's a power play catalyst, but that's not enough, right? Right. That's the thing. And to your point, you do kind of wonder if, if that's who he is, when the wild put him on the ice and maybe this is above our heads, right? They must've been seeing something um, with his game, no matter who they put with him, that they said, you know what, this is just not going to cut it. Right. Because I think for Bill Garham, he knows he wants to win. And at the end of it, Dean Avison to write these guys that want to win Stanley cups, who doesn't. Um, But you do kind of wonder with Addison with, him essentially not even getting a call when there has been injuries. Um, now with Brock Faber signed, um, you do kind of wonder what's even going through Addison's head yeah. at the moment. Maybe, right? maybe it's a physicality piece too. You know, obviously the Could playoffs are going to bring yeah. a you know a heightened sense of physicality as well too. It, there's a lot of factors, but uh, we're going to find our answer uh, in the next yeah. couple of months for sure. So it'll definitely be interesting. We're going to head on to what should be a part of the next couple of months of the National Hockey League. We're going to take a way too early look, which is wild to say with one week left, but a way uh-huh. too early look at the NHL playoff picture. The playoff race in full swing here. Episode 157. Noah Grant, Nick Maxson here to bring you the extra ice session and, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, in the East, a little more cut and dry, but also not uh, in terms of uh, one card. Di- <laughs> yeah, and one division for sure. Uh, so on the Eastern side in the Atlantic, um, 
might surprise some people. Boston's going to be the number one team. Um, Jeez. <laughs> of course, they got their 62nd franchise win, uh, a new record in the modern NHL era, and they are at 129 points. Not a new record. They tied the record. 63. Wow. 63 would be the record. Well, I think that they'll win. Why they not? will. They Why will. not? Um, well, they're going to either get Florida, the Islanders, Pittsburgh, or Buffalo in that second wild card spot. Um, Toronto and Tampa Bay are destined to meet um, in the two and three spot. Um, yep. The uh, Maple Leafs uh, likely to host in that one. So um, as far as the other side of things, um, you look at one, two, and three, that's not even remotely settled. Carolina, New Jersey, and the New York Rangers, respectively, all have a chance. Mm-hmm. The first wild card could be occupied by Florida, the Islanders, Pittsburgh, or Buffalo, like we talked about in that matchup for the one seed, and then the two, two and threes, of course, would play each other. So in the eastern side of things, uh, let's take a look at those three teams that are going to be in that top spot in the uh, in the Metropolitan, uh, or maybe mm-hmm. it's the Atlantic. Boston's the, I don't Atlantic. remember. Yeah, so the Met is the other side. Anyway, yeah. um, so Carolina is currently occupying that first place spot by a single point. They've got one more game to play compared to the other two, so they have two more points on the board potentially. They have Ottawa, Detroit, and then Florida, so a pretty favorable schedule for them. Uh, the Devils have Buffalo and then Washington, and the Rangers have Buffalo and the Maple Leafs to finish out their uh, little ride there. Um Canes at one, yeah, <laughs> Canes at 109, Devils at 108, and the Rangers, I believe, are at 106. Um, how do you see these three finishing in terms of one, two, three in this uh division? Uh again, Carolina. Uh they have been, shall we say, a little bit off lately, only four, five, and one their last ten. Um, but the schedule's favorable. Again, they have a game in hand, as you mentioned. Um, you get essentially another win. I, I think that just about locks up that number one seed, not mathematically, but I think just with I the agree. strength of schedule, yep. um, I think that they take that. Um, but how about this? You talk about, you know, Buffalo a couple of times with uh, those late season meetings that despite Buffalo having two extra games in hand and all the th- other three teams above them in the wild card race, um, that's still an uphill battle. Let's say they win yeah. both are at yeah. 89 we'll, points. Yeah. We'll jump into the wild card teams. I, the only reason I, I'm <clears throat> hesitant is just because I want to, I want to sort through these three and then we'll yeah. talk about where. So each let me go back to, Bu- so let me go back to Buffalo to talk about the three, right? Um, Buffalo is going to be fighting for their playoff lives. Um, yeah. So to me uh, at the end of the day, um, if New Jersey and or the Rangers can pounce on that, um, it's they're going to give them everything they've got. Right. I, I think, again, uh, it's still yeah. Carolina on one and the New Jersey and the Rangers two and three. Who's who's the host team? I think the Devils. I'm okay. going to stick with the Devils. Yeah, the Devils are kind of an interesting, uh, you know, lock, like you mentioned, you know, with New Jersey and the Rangers. I kind of have the same thing. I think exactly the way it sits is the way that it's going to end up appropriately. Um, as far as the wild card piece, um, let's not forget, should Buffalo make the playoffs, the the likelihood is they'd be a second wild card team. They'd have to have a lot of lo- had a, a lot of luck and they would end up probably on the other side against Boston. Um, they play, like you mentioned, the Rangers, the Devils, then the Sens and the Blue Jackets. So not a terrible schedule. Um, but not a First great two. one, yeah. not a great one either. Um, the Panthers, who are currently leading that race for the wild card, have the Maple Leafs and then Carolina uh, to finish out. The Islanders, right behind them, actually same number of points, have Washington and then Montreal. And That's the Penguins, favorable. Yeah, and the Penguins, one points behind, have both Chicago and Columbus. So Also favorable. <laughs> yeah, um, so... 
Only two of these teams are going to come out of this grouping of four here. Um, the Sabres mathematically need pretty much every one of them. Uh, to They need to, every one and they need some help up front. Yeah, they definitely do. Um, who do you see out of these four? Which two do you think come out of it? And which one is the first wild card? Oh, boy. Um, Florida's been on a hot streak. They've won six in a row. But that last two games, yikes, uh, that's going to be tough. Um, let's go bold. I'm going to say Florida slips because of their strength of schedule. Islanders and Pittsburgh have a more favorable schedule. I think it's going to be Islanders one, Pittsburgh two. Florida's going to slide out of the wild yeah, card spot. Wow. That's that's I'm going to go bold. Interesting. Um, I definitely think the Islanders are going to be in just because of their favorable schedule. I think the Panthers yep. and Isles flip flop is where I'm going to go with that. I think uh, the Panthers will get Boston in the first round and the Islanders will get Carolina um, on the other side of that. So, but yeah, that'll be interesting in, in Nick's scenario. The Islanders would still get Carolina, yep. um, but uh, the Penguins would instead get Boston in that first round matchup. Not that those two teams have had any history before, right? Not at all. Um, on the Western side of things, uh, on the Pacific side, Vegas, the number one seed, has the most number of points. Um, they will get the second wild card regardless, which will either be Winnipeg, Calgary, or Nashville. Um, and then Edmonton at two, and then number three will be either Los Angeles or Seattle. So still, still not a lock for Vegas, just so you know. Um, Edmonton's won seven. They're only two back. Uh, so at the end of it, they must they must have just updated that late then because yep. when I looked, it was four <clears throat> points, and I was like, "Well, yeah." Edmonton won late because um, they were in San Jose, I believe. So um, at at the end of it, uh, only two points behind Vegas, both at eighty games played. So not a lock yet for Vegas, um, but at the end of the day, uh, Seattle is locked in it though. As you mentioned, the first wild card spot, and it is a foot race between the <laughs> the Jets. The Flames and Nashville has a very outside chance, but also needs a lot of help. Yeah, certainly do. And, you know, you look at Vegas' schedule, they've got Seattle. How about that? Um, you know, on Thursday and Tuesday. So um, they're going to finish with the Kraken both times. So really, they could kind of help or hurt themselves depending on that uh, matchup. Of mm -hmm. course, the Kraken have the Coyotes on Monday before having the Golden Knights for both of them in the wild card spot. But, uh, um, and then the Kings have the Canucks and the Ducks, though. So I'm just saying. Oh, I mean, um, I, How about this? If Edmonton wins their last two and Vegas falters, it would be Vegas and Los Angeles as the 2-3 matchup. And, oh, boy, would that have some intrigue, especially with uh, their history and uh, maybe some player, you know, yeah, uh, shall we say access to grind, a.k.a. Jonathan Quick. So The Oilers have the Avs and the Sharks to finish out the regular season. Okay. So um, kind of interesting. In my mind, I don't think it changes. Um, and I think Los Angeles hangs on. I know that Seattle obviously has a good look as far as the standings are concerned. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at them, they've got one game in hand. Obviously, so they've got two points to climb and tie Los Angeles by the time that they go through it. I still think the Kings have a more favorable schedule. The fact that the Kraken have the Golden Knights twice after Double having points, Arizona, yeah. that's, a, that's a tough matchup. So um, on the other side of things, uh, the central is not decided. Um, Seattle nope. won't be there, but it's still not decided. Um, <laughs> Colorado, Dallas, and Minnesota all vying for that top spot. Of course, Colorado and Dallas tied at 102 points. Minnesota right behind at 100. Colorado has an extra game to be played. Um, so they've got four games. The other teams all have three. Actually, the central has the most number of games played for division left. Um, out of any group. And then the first wild card could be Seattle, Los Angeles. Um, uh, and I guess 
That's that it. would that would probably yeah. be it. Um, yeah. <laughs> just taking a look at that, I was looking at that. I was like, well, this might have gotten a little bit more sim- simpler. But um, I think it's going to be Seattle. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I think it's going to be Colorado. Um, they've got yeah. Anaheim, Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Nashville. Not an easy schedule. Um, although it's favorable. It is favorable. Dallas might be a front runner. I don't know that Minnesota gets there, and I'm not trying to rag on the wild. I just think that the schedule, they've got Chicago, Winnipeg, and Nashville as well. Um, The Stars have Detroit, St. Louis, and St. Louis, though, so that's a very favorable schedule. So um, I still think Colorado with that extra game in hand, even without McCarr, They've got another kick at the can compared to everybody fine. else, you know. Yep. So I think I think Colorado's one. I'm going to say Dallas is two. I'm going to say Minnesota's three. Exactly as we look at it, Minnesota would be on the road there. Um, Colorado, I think, gets Seattle in that matchup. So, I uh, what do you think uh, as far as the second wild card in the West, though, which theoretically right now is Vegas, that would have that first round matchup against the second wild card. Um, Winnipeg has the Sharks, the Wild, the Avs. The Flames only have two games left. They have the Predators and the Sharks, and the Preds have the Flames, the Wild, and the Avs. So all these teams playing each other. Winnipeg, mm-hmm. Calgary, or Nashville, only one of them can come through. Calgary, I believe, one point behind of Winnipeg, and then Nashville, two points behind uh, Calgary. So Nashville, kind of an outside chance looking in. Can the Jets hang on with a game in hand? Although Nashville also has a game in hand on Calgary as well. This is going to be interesting. Do. It's interesting. Again, uh, Winnipeg gets uh, a favorable matchup against San Jose on Monday uh, before heading to St. Paul to take on the Wild and then finishing off in Colorado. That's um, that's a tough that's a tough three uh, yeah. at the end of the day. Um, so that's tough. And then when you look at Calgary, who um, they're surging, there's no question that uh, they're <laughs> uh, they're trying to hang on for their dear lives. Um, again, at uh, I should say not at, but at the Saddle Dome. Uh, to host the Preds, then they get uh, San Jose. So, yikes. Uh, The thing thing for Calgary that really hurts them, they've only got 37 regulation wins compared to 40 and 44. Mm -hmm. They've finished 16 overtime losses this season. So A lot. So the the one thing about Calgary, though, is and for Winnipeg, is if they take care of business against San Jose, essentially with the same amount of games played, that puts them at a three-point mark. But if Winnipeg loses against San Jose, which you can't put it past this team, they've lost against some inferior opponents. Um, that opens the door right for Calgary to me. I, I think Nashville just doesn't have enough gas in the tank. Um, yeah. I do think it's between Winnipeg and Calgary. Um, watch how this happens and somehow Nashville eclipses both just because that's how <laughs> hockey works sometimes. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be Winnipeg. I do. I think, I think I think they'll I hang too. on by the skin of their teeth. It's it's not going to be pretty. Um, they're going to face ideally either the Kings or uh, the Oilers, and it'll probably not last long. Let's put it that way. Yeah, Vegas um, or the Oilers. Yep. Yeah. And uh, at the end of it, they'll get there, but it'll be a participation medal, and they'll be dispatched pretty quick. I I agree with you. I think they're going to win by tiebreaker. I think both those teams are going to tie um, Calgary and Winnipeg and Winnipeg is going to have the edge because of regulation wins. I think that's what it's going to come down to. I'm going to be one of those situations. So um, maybe it'll come down to a shootout at the end. Everybody loves shootouts, right? Um, A la New York Rangers a couple of years ago. Um, How about that, huh? (laughs) Or a long, actually a (laughs) fair amount of time, not a couple of years ago. Goodness. Um, 
With that being said, though, of course, the college hockey world, men's hockey is done. Congratulations to the Quinnipiac Bobcats, their first national championship on the women's side. Like we mentioned, the Wisconsin Badgers and the Toronto Six, both victories on that side of things. The Minnesota Wilds cap off their last week of the regular season. And then uh, while I'm here, uh, because we always kind of mention them and I didn't get a chance to look before the show. So I'm going to look right now very quickly. If my internet is cooperative, the Iowa wild, I believe are wrapping up their season. Yes, mm-hmm. they are in fourth place. They've got three games remaining. They are at 76 points. Um, and Rockford is behind them at 73 Manitoba ahead of them at 79 um, with a game in hand as is Rockford. They also have got a game in hand to bring them to within one point of Iowa. So nothing decided. Nope. In the AHL as they go through their last week as well, too. For Nick Max, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. And your one-timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies along. In for a chance to win it, he scores! Kirill the Thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner! St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.